The Boating Life Podcast with Savvy Navi, making marine navigation at sea easy. Welcome to another in the series The Boating Life with Savvy Navi, as we go about trying to reduce some of the barriers to boating and hopefully helping you to overcome them. Among the guests still to appear on this podcast is a leading marina operator, the CTO of a cutting-edge electric boat company, plus a specialist marine insurance broker. Some great guests that complement the real stars of this series, the crew on board a westerly sea lord called Phoenix, led by Skipper Adam, who together with Lauren and their Jack Russell Freddy are now well on their way circumnavigating the UK. Guys, it's great to catch up with you again. How are you? Yeah, it's great to be back. Thank you. And we are doing well, actually. Yeah, we're good. Really good. Yep, we're good. Well, you've been at sea now. You've been on your travels now for, what is it, four, five months, something like that? Oh, it's Mm. about 120 days, I think, we've been gone. Not that I'm keeping count. (laughs) And the important thing is you're still talking to each other. (laughs) Yeah, just about. When we do these podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, it's the only time. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of the time you're at different ends of the boat. (laughs) Yeah. Headphones on and silent. (laughs) And Freddie, 120 days at sea for the sea dog. He's clearly very happy with life. Yeah, Yeah, he is. He's clocking up the miles now, putting them in his logbook. Well, we looked looked yesterday and we think, well, we've done over a thousand nautical miles. So that's pretty much all been with Freddie. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So he's done over a thousand nautical miles, that little dog. Now, the other thing is, I know people are very keen to follow your story and follow your journey. Just remind us, Lauren, about obviously they can get hold of the podcasts through Savvy Navi, uh, but you're running uh, your own media channels as well, aren't you? Yep. So it's probably easiest to go through Instagram, which is Lauren underscore the sailor's path. Even if you don't have the Instagram app, you can still look at it on the browser. So you can type it into your web page and it will come up. And then when you go on my profile, there should be a link in my bio, which will take you to everything else. So we've been writing a blog, which we have been updating recently, actually, which has got some new stuff on there, all about our trip and a little bit more detail. And plenty of plenty of videos, plenty of pictures. Yep. So we've been doing photos and videos and try and keep it semi-educational so it's not just us having a holiday it's people can learn and hopefully get inspired to do similar things to us as well through through the videos yeah so we left you last podcast in the lovely lovely town of amble in the marina and amble which looking in the pilot book looks absolutely glorious and gorgeous where did you go from there so we left amble and we obviously headed north we were hoping to anchor in Farn Islands, but unfortunately, as it seems to always be the case for us when we were on the East Coast, when we wanted to anchor somewhere, they had easterly winds forecast and they would probably believe shore, so the wind blowing you onto land, not ideal for anchoring. So at that point, we went along and we had a look, but we felt that we weren't going to be comfortable there. So we decided to make the hop across the border and into Scotland. Mm. And our first stop was in Eymouth. That was quite fun, raising the Scottish yeah, flag. We played some, um, flag. played some bagpipe music mm-hmm. on the speaker. <laughs> Had a little ceremony. But there is something about that, isn't it? You know, you, you've gone to another oh, country. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was such an achievement. Yeah. We were so proud. I f- remember feeling quite emotional because, yeah, it was like a huge milestone. I couldn't believe that we managed to get to Scotland. Yeah, it, it like as you just said, it, we're in another country. Yeah, and it's on our boat, which is our home. Something it's weird. That you, 
you feel that you are oh, so far away but yeah we, we achieved it and we went into Eymouth which is uh, a nice little town mainly set up for fishermen a lot of fishing mm. boats out there and there's two resident seals in the harbour which they get fed by uh, the tourists to buy a little bucket of, of chopped up mackerel and you can feed them and they are the biggest seals I have seen on this trip they are huge they've mm. got a good deal by living there because they get very well fed they're scary looking actually as yeah, well yeah very fall in um, the water. huge absolutely massive how long did you stay there for? We stayed there for two nights and that was actually our first time rafting up to another boat. So yeah. that was an interesting experience. So they never used to have a visitor pontoon. I think until fairly recently someone was there said it wasn't even there last year. And um, so they only have a very short pontoon and when we got there there was three other boats. So yeah, we had to raft, first time rafting. Now we've done it, I would say it wasn't as... No. bad or stressful as I thought it was going to be. The people that we rafted up against were on board when we arrived which was helpful so they helped guide us and then someone else rafted the other side of us shortly after we arrived and again they were really friendly everyone just helps each other even other people mm. from down in the pontoon were taking the shorelines for us and we all just sort of worked together and we were like one little unit for the night. So good experience another tick in the box. Yeah, definitely opens up more um, opportunities for other places to go, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. And obviously, when we were rafting, we had to slip out at five o'clock in the morning the next day and disrupt the whole raft. Yeah, um, we were the ones getting everyone up. We were the <laughs> annoying ones in the middle. But again, everyone was so friendly. And we did go through, you know, oh, if you do this and I do that and we can slip away. But actually, it turned out that the outer boat just said, look, I'll let you guys go and I'll just come back in and start afresh. So if you just talk to the people around you, other people will want to do it different ways, but that was easiest for them and it worked out absolutely fine. Yeah, good point. There is that kind of question in the back of your mind is, should they actually teach the rafting techniques when you're doing your courses? Because I, I don't remember doing that on a course. I think they definitely should. I've never thought about it before, but now you say that, I think mm. definitely. I think we did raft on my uh, day skipper because we went into Yarmouth, which is, again, a, a busy spot down in the Solent. I don't really remember there being much instruction about it. I remember it's just that's where we were going for the night. And he said, you know, you set up spring lines just as, as if you were on the pontoon. But a little tip that we learned from another boat on that occasion was that if you set up a midship in case there's no one on the other boats, come up to the boats as slow as you possibly can. And then if there's no one there, you can just tie midship to midship and then you can sort the other lines out and spring lines in it where you've got a bit more time. That was quite a useful tip if anyone's not rafted before. And then mm. it was ready to push on from Eymouth. Where did you go next? So we headed over to our broth and that was a nice, again, uh, little bit of a marina in there but mainly fishing boats interesting pilotage in as they've got a lot of sort of sea walls to protect from the swell and things like that so it was a few sharp right mm. right angle uh, turns but you also can't not talk about the obvious thing which is the amount of lobster pots that everybody warned you about and i thought oh it can't be that bad but it really honestly is there's hundreds of them out there i've never seen anything like it right it on the leading line as well which is always helpful there is a very small channel to go through, but I mean, it's not really a channel, it's just fight your way through. But I wouldn't like to do it in the fog or definitely wouldn't like to do it at night. I would definitely say make sure you get there with lots of days. Yep. But again, it's not a reason to not visit. We navigated through absolutely no problems, but something to be aware of. Also, our broth, 
you can't not get a smoky pie. So if you ever do visit our broth, it's a very famous tradition, the way that they smoke the haddock. Is mm. it haddock? Yeah, and they do all sorts of yeah. fish, I think. Yeah, you can buy them dried and or in a pie, and we got them in a pie, and 100% you've got to get one. <laughs> yeah, they were very nice. We really liked them, yeah. An acquired taste. Some people don't like them, but if you like fish and you like fish pie, definitely go for it. So Freddie was in his element then? <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he did, yeah. Because you can smell the smokehouses in the morning. And uh, yeah, he had his nose to the, uh, to the out, smoke. Out of the uh, spray hood sniffing <laughs> yeah. in the air. <laughs> Let's just talk a little bit on that passage because, of course, there is rattery head to get around there as well. Did that have any challenges for you? Yeah, so that was uh, a little bit further north. We went to Peterhead and then, like you say, around Rattray Head. We read in the pilot guide that if you're ex- expecting fairly strong weather to just stay two miles off. And on the day that we went round, it was sort of fairly easy conditions. I think we probably had motor sailing, I think, actually. I think it was about eight knots of wind. But we still went two miles off anyway because we thought, well, why, why risk anything? And, uh, also and it was look, absolutely fine. We did look over, didn't we, to see the condition of the water, and it was flat where we are, but then there was white horses near the yeah. actual headland. Yeah. So I think it does definitely chop up there, and that was on a calm day. But, yeah, we just stayed well out, and it was fine, wasn't it? And the conditions were calm. So on passage round Rattery Head, that was taking you on to? White Hills. Uh, lovely little place. Very, very yeah, tight oh entrance gosh. into there. Possibly the most interesting entrance we've ever had. Yeah. It was honestly like a 90 degree turn and the harbour master is amazing. He came down to the harbour wall and he had his camera. He has this thing where if you stay in White Hills, he'll take a photo of you on his camera if he knows that you're coming. And he, hand, he gives it to you on his memory card and it's really sweet. But he shouted over the harbour wall, it's very tight. And then I looked back at Adam and I was like, oh my God, it is a 90 degree turn. I was in tears by that point, I think. <laughs> but there's, there was no way out of it by this point because we'd already made our approach and we've got rocks the other side of us. And they have bumpers, you know, all up against the wall, but it was so tight. I've never seen the boat spin like that on the spot. As soon as we were in there, I thought, how are we going to get out? <laughs> it was nerve wracking to get in and to leave as well. Cause oh, yeah. yeah. You got to leave again. <laughs> you got to leave at some point. Um, when we left, the harbour master was on the pontoon, and the fisherman just in front of us were doing some work on his boat. And we said what our plan was. Initially, we wanted to swim the boat round before we tied up, but because it was so tight, we just slung it on the pontoon and thought we'll do all this when we leave. So when we left, they actually um, span us round using the bow. They pushed us off the pontoon, did like a one eighty turn, mm. which helped get us in the right direction. So they were really helpful. I don't know how we would have got out without them. No, not without calling the insurance, I think. Yeah. (laughs) So an experience, but again, you've got through it. Very beautiful, though. The water there was almost just so turquoise and completely clear. And we had some of the best fish and chips we've had from one of the the fish and chip shops. And then on from White Hills. After that, we went to Lossy Mouth. Again, very interesting entrance. But before um, before we were going to go to Lossy Mouth, we were worried about the entrance to it. But then yeah. after we'd done White Hills, we thought, oh, Lossy Mouth will be fine. Yeah. So, you know. Um, good thing about Lossy Mouth, they have very good webcams that are on live yeah. the whole time. So you can actually see what the conditions are like in the marina, in the entrance, and where the empty berths are as well, which is quite handy. We watched a few boats come in 
and see how tight the turn was for them. And once we'd seen that a few times, we thought, oh, we're similar size to them. There's plenty of room. It yeah. gave you a really good perspective of it without being there. It's really, really yeah. useful, actually. And I actually looked at Lossy Mouth before we left and I thought, I hope by the time we get there, I feel comfortable enough going in. So it was kind of like on my in my head, it was a challenge that I had to do. And uh, as Lauren said, once you've done it, you actually realise that it wasn't as bad no. as you thought it was going to be. No. And it was quite a, yeah, quite a nice little harbour, actually. Another was, achievement. That another achievement. Yeah. We do build these things up in our heads sometimes, don't we, as, as being really big mountains to climb. And then we find they're actually just a little hill. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And looking at things on the charts yeah. and you can... You can't really sometimes get a good scale of what it looks like. No. So definitely think that the webcam thing is something that other marinas yeah, maybe I think could, more marinas could should put do that it. in there. Yeah. But yeah, that was uh, it was a good good stay there. And uh, then we moved on from there to Inverness. Lauren, it must give you a bit of confidence now in your skipper's abilities of boat manoeuvring after those couple of ports. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel so different. It's funny, actually. I'm so much more confident in Adam and also in the boat. So the time that we spent along the East Coast kind of got me confident out in the open sea. And then these last few marinas, you know, we've got it pretty much sus now what we do on deck. But yeah, feeling a lot more confident in terms of mooring up, definitely. Mm. And what the boat can do and how you handle it, definitely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad someone feels more confident. <laughs> so Lossy Mouth, an interesting experience, but a good place nonetheless. And then you were ready to really start moving round towards the Caledonian Canal. Where did you go next? So from Lossy Mouth, we went to Inverness. And there's a, a tricky tidal gate there that you need to be aware of called Sharnery Point. Forgive me if I've butchered the name there. But basically a very small gap that the tide uh, rushes through at quite a strong strong I think it can yeah. go at like four and a half knots and springs. So. so we really wanted to make sure our timing was right there although it actually wasn't no and we, were we messed it up slightly it. late but the wind had died off as we got closer to it so there wasn't really much swell so we just decided you know what we'll just keep going we're going to motor against it and i think we were motoring at one knot for a little while there's but it, it wasn't rough conditions so no. we thought, oh, we're just going to push through there's two pinch points isn't there i can't remember the names there's one at the very beginning which is shannery point which yeah comes down very very small and some commercial traffic does go through there as well so you do have to be careful of that but then it opened out into this almost like a big basin um which is where we had the most of the tide against us. So if we'd have had that going through Shannery Point, I think we would have struggled. Mm. But because we were already through one of the pinch points, it kind of eased off a bit. But that's meant to be one of the places that you're guaranteed to see dolphins, but we didn't see any dolphins, unfortunately. I know. Uh, but it's a very popular spot for dolphins and um, salmon, apparently, leaping out the water through the strong tidal currents. So we're going to stop at Inverness, if that's okay, guys, for now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have got a, a few questions and a few uh, observations that we've been asked to put to you, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So the first question we had was, why did you decide to go east instead of what is they say traditional, uh, go west? So for us, this was sort of something that I guess is a personal choice for us because we intended on heading up the east coast into Scotland and then coming down the west coast and potentially stopping in somewhere in Wales or Cornwall and we wanted to do that as part of you know circumnavigation so if we had have gone west 
knowing that we intended on wintering somewhere in Wales or Cornwall, we would have ended up going west up into Scotland and then coming back down something that we'd already travelled. So for us, it was just purely we wanted to go up these coasts because we were unlikely to come back there. And that way it would then be a circumnavigation. And that's why we chose it, really. Yeah, I'm really glad that we went anti-clockwise because massive confidence builder going up the east coast and now it's put us in such a good position that we can explore scotland with all these new skills that we maybe we wouldn't maybe wouldn't have had but also the west coast has been so busy this year that we've been able to get away from the crowds which has been amazing yeah and there there really are some stunning spots on the east coast everyone mm. says oh you just need to, you just want to get that over and done with and get it out of the way which is i think why a lot of people just go west mm. go up the west coast and maybe come down if they're not planning a full circumnavigation but I would recommend it. It's I would, yeah, some yeah. great places, great places to see. Wonderful people. Yeah, really friendly people. Uh, and it's actually surprising, actually, to me that people stop and say, morning, how are you? And you'll even be like, oh, they're starting a conversation. They're telling me about their family and things. And it's, it's actually really nice. You get invested yeah. in your journey and you get to know people. And yeah, it's lovely. And another one we had was yeah, to get all this time. 120 days plus what about games evenings you know cards we've, we've heard about hide and seek with freddie how else do you how <laughs> else do you pass the time of day in the evening particularly i think in the evening well mainly i love cooking so i'm always happy you know in the kitchen and the lovely thing about having a boat is yeah the space is small but i can be in the kitchen and you can be in you know the living room saloon whatever and you know you're still one unit and it's just so nice in the evening, putting the candles on, cooking, mm. put some music on, or we might watch, uh, you know, Netflix or get lost in YouTube. Or um, you normally find me not too far away from my book, which I've read so much on this trip. I don't think I've ever read so much in my life, which is I feel so lucky that I've been able to have the time to do that because it's something that I just love to do. Mm. Um, but often, you know. You, too tired or you've got work or whatever so that's been really nice for me we do have a few games we have on a few board. games um, yeah we've even got uh games like uno yeah um, so we bought you can buy most games in uh like miniature travel packs so we've got like an uno we've got a monopoly we've got loads of normal cards that we use cribbage cribbage my mum bought us a cribbage set before we left which is really nice yeah we've we've, we just... we've had fairly good signal so far on this trip yeah. so we have been able to watch a film or a tv series as well or we'll often take the dog out in the evening if the weather's nice we've had lovely summer so in the evenings we've really enjoyed that sort of times real special yeah. when you can see the harbour lit up um under the sunset it's just even more magical isn't it yeah it is yeah and in your spare time i hear adam you're now starting to hone your fishing skills although it does come at a price adam doesn't it it does come at a price yeah so i've been sort of trying to work out the different lures that you'd use for trawling because i would ideally like to throw the line out the back while we're sailing and obviously keep an eye on it and just catch fish that way rather than standing for hours casting in off the beach but recently since we've uh, actually been up here in scotland i've caught quite a few mackerel and, and had dinner on a few nights in a row if i, mm. I, I think if I wanted to, I could probably go out and hopefully catch tonight if I if I was lucky. Because when they say mackerel season is in, apparently they are literally everywhere, and so far it seems to seems to be true. So I'm using that's some just some mackerel feathers, which is quite a common lure 
Not that I'm an expert in fishing at all, and that's that seems to have worked. But I did have a little bit of an accident, which could have gone a lot worse, where I was practicing casting the fishing rod out, and you have to I forget the name of what you actually have to do on the reel, but you have to flick the reel so that it allows the line to come out, obviously. And I forgot to unflick this, so as I went to cast it out, it it just bounced back and hit me in the back I, of the head. I could hear it. I heard this like doof noise. I thought, oh my goodness. And I could see the fish hook stuck in the back of his head. All oh, your nursing skills could have come to the fore there, Lauren. I know. I thought, right, we've got a situation here. How bad is this going to be? Do I need to have a look at this? But luckily, you just it just came out. I was going to say, the hook was actually in the back of your head then, Adam. It was stuck in the back of the head, but luckily it hadn't gone past the barb. So I was able to just... Oh my well, god, it's making me cringe now. I just pulled it straight out. Lesson learnt there and not too much damage. Yeah, I caught something, that's for sure. <laughs> At the end of the day, you're learning a lot, Adam, about fishing. That's the main thing. Yeah, that is. And it's something that I wanted to do as part of this whole trip was try and be as self-sufficient as possible. It's kind of something that I've always had an interest in. So we got like solar panels and, and things like that. But fishing is... I'm completely new to fishing so to start learning this and actually get some rewards from it as well has been really nice but one one challenge I've still got left to to do is is forage a lobster at oh. low tide out of the rocks and things like that so he's determined I can't keep him off of these slippery rocks yeah I, I will <laughs> let you know when we get that because I think that's going to be a sort of golden reward a lobster dinner wow foraging for lobster one of the big things we've done on this boat because we saw what you did on yours was to fit a barbecue to the back so barbecue oysters is, is the absolute essential item to have although for a vegetarian probably not as exciting as it is for us no well i do actually eat fish if i if i know where it's come from i'm not too fussy with that so it's actually perfect for me if it's caught by one single line by the back of the boat i think i can manage that <laughs> and then yes. adam then catching the mackerel straight onto the barbecue almost what's there not to like about this guys oh it it is the dream living the dream we were quite snug that evening weren't we sat on anchor with the lovely sunset and we've got these mackerel in front of us we thought right this this is a moment yeah. this is a highlight of the trip right here well we're going to hear about your caledonian excursion in the next podcast we're also going to talk about anchoring as well we've got some more guests uh, to bring to the party so we've got lots of things to share lots of things to chat about but guys we are just so excited for you so pleased for you and dare i say we're actually a little bit proud of you uh, for what you've done and what you've achieved we really are oh thank, thank you that you, really yeah. means a lot yeah that's so lovely we're proud of ourselves aren't we <laughs> yeah we are we are yeah you should be and the point is of course that freddie is content happy and having a wonderful time that's the important thing oh yeah we couldn't do it without freddie could we yeah. so captain of the ship he's getting some amazing walks in at the moment so oh, he's he very happy <laughs> he's swimming in locks daily at the moment he swam in a lock yesterday and i mean on his walks now he'll be hunting for, to get in the water won't he, he he's will. just yeah. obsessed with swimming we have to be careful because it's quite deep around here adam's been rowing him short for his nighttime walk and it must have been low tide and there was a lot of seaweed out the other day we were in one of the locks and he was too uh, eager. He jumped off the front of the tender, which he doesn't normally do, but he must have thought it was firm ground underneath. And I just had this splash. And all I could see was this little nose poking up underneath the seaweed. And he'd completely sunk beneath the seaweed. And um, there must have been still 
two meters underneath him or something so i just grabbed him out by his collar and he was absolutely fine he was very excited after that yeah he had a little bit of an adrenaline rush i yeah. think <laughs> i thought oh my god freddie's gone but he was clipped on luckily we just pulled him out and he was fine but you have to be careful that dog is having the best life ever isn't he he really is i think he is just yeah. living life living a doggy dream it makes us happy as well, you know, seeing him run around and, yeah. and happy. It brings us a lot of joy it as does. well. It does, yeah. Guys, as always, absolute delight to catch up with you. Fantastic to hear about all your adventures. I can't wait for the next podcast to talk about the Caledonian Canal. And I also want to catch up with you about environmental issues and how people on boats need to be more eco-aware of the environment around us. We're living in it, but we need to be aware of it. So um, hopefully we we're okay to, to cover off those subjects in a, in a future podcast yeah i think we have lots to talk about on those fronts definitely. yeah I look forward to that yeah brilliant as always thank you so much and uh try, try and relax if you can on, on phoenix <laughs> well we'll do our best we'll you know. try <laughs> i better get the champagne yeah. <laughs> all the best guys lovely to catch up see you later bye bye getting stressed out planning your next sailing trip Savvy Navi acts like your silent first mate, cross-checking your calculations and providing all the information you need to get out on the water safely. Get integrated charts, weather forecasts, tidal heights, tidal streams, distance calculations and more in one place. Whether you're looking to plan an entire trip or just want to check the charts, tide and weather, it's as easy as one, two, Three. Sail safe, sail easy. Sail with Savvy Navi. Download the app now on the Apple app and Google Play stores to start your free trial. As you've no doubt gathered, the theme of this series is to try and reduce the barriers to getting afloat. And to that end, I'm delighted to introduce you to Simon Balding, the events director of Sunsail UK. Simon didn't step on a boat until his 20s, when he went on a corporate sailing day on an old Sigma 38 in the pouring rain, which actually he really enjoyed. After running the marketing department for a law firm and advising them on how to get into yacht sponsorship, he moved down to the south coast, eventually joining Sunsail about seven years ago, and then from there he introduced his own family to the world of sailing. His own aspirations for the future would involve going to some of the more amazing sailing destinations around the world. I started a conversation by asking him to explain exactly what Sunsail UK has to offer. Sunsail's been established in the UK for, well, nearly 50 years. It'll be their 50th anniversary in 2024. And it was one of the very first sailing companies to be established in, in the UK, in Emsworth. It was not far from where we're based now in Portsmouth. And they've been running sailing activities in, in the UK with different fleets of boats for nearly 50 years. What we specialise in doing in the UK is threefold. One is training people to sail. We've got a very large and successful sailing school with a really good track record of training people up young and old into the sport of sailing. We offer bare boat uh, charters, sort of staycation charters, cruising charters is, is another element which has become very popular, which I, I'm sure we'll touch on in more detail. And then the third thing is the corporate side of things, which is team building and client hospitality and uh, sort of racing events and participating in things like Cows Week and the Round the Island Race and things of that nature and running everything from sort of a one boat team building activity for a few people that want to go out sailing together 
right up to some of our largest events would be three or four hundred people on the water simultaneously for a major corporate regatta for blue chip clients like PwC, Deloitte, Salesforce, IBM, companies of, of, of that nature. So it's, it's quite a varied operation in the UK. The overseas activities of Sunsail are somewhat different in that Sunsail overseas is all about sailing holidays, giving people incredible holiday experiences, whether that's on a bare boat charter or a skipper charter, or it could be as part of a flotilla, which Sunsail was one of the first companies that pioneered the flotilla holiday in the early days. And that's still a very, very popular format for, for holidays for families to go around in a flotilla where you've got the support of a lead boat with a professional skipper and technician on there to help you plan your route and moor up and disembark every day and we've even started offering flotillas in the uk staycation op- opportunities and options exactly yes yes because obviously there's been a few challenges to people going overseas as as everyone's aware of it. so simon why should people consider chartering perhaps as an alternative to buying their own boat yeah i I think various reasons there i think what one of them is choice and variety so if you have your own boat generally it's going to stay in in one location you're going to have it in the uk or you you may moor it in in one particular place around around the world but if if you're chartering you have a choice of going anywhere that, that you fancy around the world you may go to thailand greece croatia australia the, the Caribbean, BVIs, etc., all those wonderful destinations. So you get a huge choice. Plus, you're going to get a choice of different yachts as well, and depending on you know, how many of you are going and people's experience levels and the cruising grounds. The Mediterranean, for example, has a sort of mixture of monohulls and catamaran. The Caribbean, people tend to focus on large catamarans. And, and so I think it gives you a lot of choice and variety, lots of options. The first thing. The, the second thing is, I, I think financially, it, it's far more cost effective to, to charter because you're only paying for a boat when you're using it, as opposed to having to pay all year round for mooring fees and insurance and maintenance and things of, of that nature. And having worked in the industry for many years, I've seen an awful lot of yachts languishing in marinas unused for the vast majority of the year, collecting weed on the bottom of them. Uh, and you look at it, look at these yachts and powerboats and you think, my word, that's costing an absolute fortune. It's just sitting there, decreasing in value all, all the time and, and costing its, its owners a great deal of money. So I, th- I think there's a strong financial case for chartering and also convenience as well in terms of if you've got your own boat, you've got to either organise somebody else or do it yourself of cleaning it, maintaining it, repairing it, organising all the paperwork for the insurance, etc, etc. Whereas if you're chartering, you know that you're arriving on a boat that's safe, coded for commercial use, maintained by professionals, and you just get on, do your handover, and off you go. And when you get back at the end of the holiday, you hand it back, and you don't have to worry about doing anything else to it until and, and, and then just look forward to your next sailing holiday. I think people are always interested in knowing what's available the Sunsail fleet and it's not just yachts is it? In the UK we actually have a, a beautiful brand new fleet of yachts so we have a matched fleet of brand new Geno 410 yachts which we call the the Sunsail 41.0 but it's, it's basically the the new design Geno 410 which came out in in 2019 the model was launched they are 
absolutely stunning boats with loads of space on deck and loads of space down below really good boats for both tr- training on uh bare boat cruising and also they it's a one design so they're great fun for racing as well o- overseas yeah we've got a, a vast array of monohulls and catamaran sailing boats all around the world and then also something else that we have in Sunsail and our sister company, the Moorings Portfolios, we have power catamaran, which are becoming increasingly popular, actually, mainly in the Caribbean destinations and some of our more exotic locations uh, like Brazil and the Seychelles and places like that. But we also have a few in the Mediterranean and it's fundamentally the same two hulls, the same design of one of our sailing catamarans, but with no mast and sails and with more powerful engines on the back so that you can go around at about sort of 15 to 20 knots. So if you want to cover uh, a lot of ground and see a lot of different places d- during your trip, then a power catamaran really opens up the area, the cruising grounds to you so that, so that you can get around and see a lot more in, in a limited space of time. One question I'm sure you get asked an awful lot is about the charter options, as in particularly what qualifications you need in order to get on a boat and actually get going. Just in a quick summary, if you wouldn't mind, give me a sort of an overview as to what are the minimum qualifications you're looking for for people to come and charter one of your boats. Actually, experience is more important than qualifications in in many respects. So we will ask all of our clients, whether it's in the UK or overseas, to complete a sailing CV. And on that CV, they've got to very clearly demonstrate what their experience levels are, what types of boats they've sailed on in the past, where they've sailed in the world. We classify the different sailing areas as level one, two and three. These challenging sailing areas will be level one, such as the the Med, where it's non-tidal. And then there are more challenging sailing areas, such as the UK and Thailand, for example, that are classed as as level three, where there could be more variable weather, could be more difficult to navigate, uh, tidal uh, waters, etc. So experience is very important. If you're in the Mediterranean, there is a legal constraint in that you have to have an international certificate of competence, the ICC, and that is required by, as far as I'm aware, all European jurisdictions for you to be able to charter a boat. You can take an ICC examination or what we actually recommend to do is actually get your day skipper qualification, which is trains you to a higher level than what's required for the ICC. And then you can automatically can convert your day skipper into an ICC with the RYA. And then you can take your ICC documentation with you overseas. And then often in, in the UK, day skipper is the go-to qualification to be able to charter. Uh, so we do ask for people to either have prerequisite level of good level of experience or to have, again, a decent level of experience plus a day skipper uh, qualification. And then you also need a second person on board that knows what they're doing. Obviously, that's to help the skipper and make mm. their life less stressful. Um, <laughs> Always but, a good but, thing. But all, yes. But also from a safety angle as well, you know, if anything were to happen to the, to the skipper, then you need somebody else on board that knows what to do in the event of, of an emergency. So you do require your trusty first mate on board who can help the skipper. So that person uh, needs to be competent crew level or higher and have a reasonable amount of experience so that they could not just help, but also take over the boat in the event of an emergency. So partnership's really important. Teaming up with someone like Savvy Navi, important to Sunsail as well? Yes, partnerships are really important to us because sailing is not just about the boat. There's lots of other elements to to sailing as as well, such as clothing and obviously navigation and, and knowing where you're going and feeling 
feeling confident uh, and, and safe in, in your navigation. So yes, we're delighted to be partnering with Savvy Navi in the UK and, and hopefully that's going to be something that we'll, we'll be able to roll out all around the world uh, as well. Our instructors are using Savvy Navi and introducing our sailing school students to, to Savvy Navi as a way for them to learn more about navigation and helping them as part of their studying and helping them do their passage planning and weather routing, navigation in general. Yes, a fantastic new partnership and, and one that's that's going well. We also have, as I mentioned earlier, we have our new flotilla product where we've got lots of groups and families sailing with us on our new flotillas this year. The first one that happened in May and, and, and we have others coming up uh, and all of our flotilla guests are being given a complimentary version of, of Savvy Navi by Sunsail to assist our flotilla guests, some of them are more used to sailing overseas in, in sort of Mediterranean destinations where, where navigation is a bit less challenging. So we, we thought it was important to give our guests a little bit of extra help to reassure them and, and help them along the way. So we thought it was an ideal thing to do was to give them access to Savvy Navi so that it, it can make their cruising experience on the UK flotilla a more relaxed, enjoyable and successful experience for them. So in conclusion, Simon, there's a lot of competition out there. Why should people come to Sunsail? I think the main reason people should come to Sunsail is reassurance and quality. As you say, there, there are lots of boats out there, lots of charter companies out there. But something that struck me in my seven years at Sunsail is the, the dedication of our technical teams around the world and just the day-in, day-out high-quality level of customer service and the high-quality level of boats that, that my colleagues deliver to our customers. If you get on a Sunsail boat, it's going to be of a certain quality. You're going to have a great sailing trip and you're not going to be plagued mm. with, with, with problems that, that you could get on other yachts. So I, I think it's choice, quality, reliability and fantastic customer service. It's still frustrating for a lot of people that they can't travel overseas. But one of the things that struck me is just the sheer uh, demand and passion for sailing in the UK. We've got so many people learning to sail with us, either developing their skills or starting their skills on a new learning journey. We've got the new flotilla product with with lots of people going to be enjoying their first ever UK flotilla. Lots of people doing bare boat staycation charters. And I think this is a golden year for sailing in, in the UK where we are being able to introduce new people to the sport of sailing in, in the UK and also getting people that probably normally sail overseas to actually sample what's on, on their doorstep. And I, I think there will be a really positive and lasting legacy to what's been a fairly negative experience for a lot of people. And the fact that I think it's generating a resurgence for sailing in the UK, which is a fantastic mm. thing. Thanks once again to all of today's guests. Join us for more soon. And if you have any questions that you would like me to ask the crew of Phoenix, just let me know via the Savvy Navi website or any of our social media channels. Bye for now. The Boating Life Podcast with Savvy Navi. Making marine navigation at sea easy.